but one thing about me is that I love uh, hiking. There's just something about being outside, something about the fresh air that just brings a lot of my issues and problems just to light and just clarity, but it always just seems to bring peace just being out in God's creation. One of the best hiking trips that I've ever have been on was where we climbed below uh, Mount Gilbert in the Goat Rocks Wilderness area, and we ended up at a spot called Warm Lake. Uh, by the end of our first day hiking, we probably traveled almost 20 miles. I remember just being exhausted and tired when we made camp, and I was thinking, I've got three more days of this? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a lot. But while I certainly love the views and just the, the experience of being outside and camping, I'm not a huge fan of the soreness that comes through it. But it's certainly the pursuit of hiking that leads us to, or for me, just to, to forego the pain and the suffering, just to enjoy those things. But there's a delight and a satisfaction that comes in reaching the top and reaching your goal. It's through that feeling, you know, that feeling of accomplishment is kind of always fleeting. The older I get, the more I realize that we are all pursuing something in our lives. We are pursuing various different careers, and we're pursuing relationships, we're pursuing activities, some even our others are pursuing music. Whether we know it or not, the things that we are pursuing are the things that we are trying to find fulfillment or satisfaction in our lives. Sometimes it seems that in our pursuits of things that there's a pressure, whether it is internal or external, that we have to be the best in this field, that we have to do the best in all of these things. We have to be the best in our career. We have to be the best person, or we have to find the right person in our marriage. We have to build everything around a healthy family. Not to mention just the pressure that comes from being in our country and being in our world, the economic pressures, the pressures of our friends and our family. Everywhere we look, we see a growing uh, pressure to be someone, to do something particular, to be this person, to act like this. And so this constant pressure causes us to lose the pursuit of what truly matters. Having clear priorities allows us to not be overwhelmed in the constant changes of our experiences in, in our world, allows us to be people of integrity, people of character, allow us to not be swept away by everything and what everyone else is doing. But rightly setting our priorities allows us to pursue the things in our world that we are able to find accomplishment, allows us to set our time and our focus on certain things. But how do we set right priorities in life? How do we pursue the things that are actually going to bring fulfillment to us? I think of King David in the Old Testament as he sheds light for us this morning. He was a man who had all kinds of pressure to be king, to lead people, to rule the nation of Israel, to have prosperity for his nation. One thing that is true about leadership then and now is the higher up you are in leadership, the more pressure you have to make the right decision for yourself and for those under you. So the more people you have following you, the more responsibility to lead people rightly, the pressure of all of that. I would say it's fair to say that David experienced many similar pressures that we do today. Looking at our passage today, Psalm 63, David was at a place in his life where he was experiencing extreme disgrace and shame on the run from his son Absalom. 
This psalm was written after he was kicked out of Jerusalem where his son was wanting to pursue him to kill him. At this point in David's life, he is running and trying to survive while he's suffering in the middle of a wilderness. And so we find a question through this passage. How do I respond to the constant pressures in my life? He begins in Psalm 1 or Psalm 63 by stating, O oh God, you are my God. David is looking at the host of gods that the people around him are worshiping. And he says, God, you are the only true God. You are the God that, are, that is above all gods. You are the God that is worthy of all praise and honor. But he goes a step further in calling God his own God, signifying a deep personal relationship that he has with God, his Father. He knows God, and God knows him. So the first way that we respond to the pressure in our lives is to be occupied with God, meaning that all of our thoughts and our mind are of God and of the things of God. And because we are spending our effort occupying ourselves with God, we don't have time to dwell on our problems, and we're not blaming others, we're not regretting our decisions, we're not complaining about what happened. And so David is, is doing that. He's occupying his mind with God and the things of God. So he's intentional to think about who God is, what he's done, and he's too busy doing these things that he can't dwell on the pressures that he's facing. Not that he's ignoring them, not that he's uh, putting them off by the wayside, but he is not playing a pity party or he's not dwelling in on himself. In the midst of his suffering, he is being, he's being occupied with God. He continues in verse 1, Earnestly I seek you. Earnestly means to show sincere or intense conviction. Everything he does is in the pursuit of seeking God, of knowing God, of seeing what God is doing in his life through his suffering and through his pain. He believes in who God says he is, and he's occupying his mind with God. Every bit of energy that he has, he is spending it pursuing God amidst all the pressures of his life. He does this because his soul longs for God. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. For David, he's in the wilderness. He's lacking his basic human needs of food, water, and shelter. Yet he recognizes his greatest need, and that is God, his Father. He recognized that he was created to be in a relationship with God. But because of the impact of sin, he's separated from God's presence. And so like David, we are all longing for something. We are all pursuing something to fill the void that sin has left in our heart. We see people going and moving from relationship to relationship. We see people moving from career to career. We see people moving and just constantly upheaving their lives in pursuit of fulfillment. And so all people are desiring to be in the presence of God, whether we know it or whether we don't. And because of this deep longing to be in the presence of God, we, David is going to pursue God at all costs to be in his presence, to be filled, and to be satisfied. Because he knows that God is able to quench the thirst in his soul. He recognizes that nothing else will be able to fill the void in his heart. He's not trying to be someone. He's not trying to be, uh, do something, but he simply wants to be with God. 
This longing after God came through ordinary worship with God. In verse 2, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory and power. David spent a lot of time in the temple with the people of God, worshiping and praising God. And he understood and he saw God's power and his glory present in the temple and present in his people. Yet he's removed from God's presence and he's removed from his people, but he's longing to be back with the people of God, worshiping God. And so as pastor theologian uh, Warren Wearsby states, it is our regular mundane worship that prepares us for the crisis experiences of our lives. I think it's fair to say that David was in a place of crisis. He is running for his life, yet he understood how life impacts us as a direct result of what is found in us. He was a man who faithfully worshipped God in all seasons of his life. He was able to worship God in the wilderness when he was facing insurmountable pressures in his life because he worshipped God in times of wealth, in times of health, in times of prosperity. So this longing for God starts by worshiping God, occupying our minds and our thoughts on God. And worship is more than singing. Worship is giving God the glory that is due with a life that is in complete surrender to Him. When we make God the main pursuit of our life, we are able to find that He alone quenches the deep thirsting in our souls. How do we respond to the pressures in life? First, we have to be occupied with God. And second, we praise God. He continues in verse 3, My lips will praise you. David isn't focusing on his situation, but he's committing himself to praise God. And praising God just simply means giving thanks for what God has done in in our lives. Not only are his thoughts occupied with God, but now he's occupying his lips. He's occupying his body in serving God because this is a way for him to express his deep gratitude for what God has done in his life. So I think for us, when we are facing tremendous pressures in our life, it's important to be intentional, to give thanks to God, working in our lives. Praising him with our lips, serving him with our body demonstrates that we are committing ourselves to worship him alone. David gives us two reasons this morning why we are able to praise God. The first is God's love is vast. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. This word steadfast implies that God's constant, unending expression of love in what is best for his children He understood that in all ways God preserved his life. And this is why we find many of the Psalms speaking of how God has brought deliverance from from pain, deliverance from suffering, deliverance from pressure. We see that David experienced God's love in profound ways in light of the tremendous suffering that he was experiencing at the moment. Instead of complaining, he says nothing in this world is better than being in God's love. Nothing is better than being known by God. And this love that he is talking about is not anything that we have to strive for, not anything that we have to work for, not anything that we have to earn, but we simply come to God in faith and we are loved and we are accepted as his children. 
David understood this, and this is why he gives us a second reason to praise God. Because God satisfies the longing of our hearts. He says in verse 5, My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. God alone brought the satisfaction to David's longing. He searched everywhere to fill this void in his life, but only he, he was only able to find the satisfaction when he came to God in faith. Amidst his suffering, he recognizes that God is worthy of pursuing, that God is the only pursuit that is worth pursuing. And God satisfied his soul more than food satisfies hunger pains, more than any of our emotional needs that we have, which are fleeting. God's satisfaction is sustaining, is, is God's presence in our lives. It doesn't go away, it doesn't fade, it doesn't linger, but we are satisfied when we come to know God. And satisfaction comes only by knowing God and being known by God. In a word, this is a relationship, a relationship with God our Father. All people are created to be in relationship with God our Father and with Jesus Christ, His Son. He is what our hearts desire. He is our ultimate pursuit. If we are not pursuing a relationship with Christ, then we are going to have a life of frustration. David acknowledged that. But because of these two reasons to praise God, David commits himself to praising and blessing God for the rest of his life. We see that in verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. This posture of worship is one of lifted hands, and he is signifying that he is in complete surrender to what God is doing in his life, complete surrender to who God is, and he's saying, I am yours. I know in my own life I am prone to complain or shift the blame on others because of my suffering, because of my pressures in life. Yet David on the run, fleeing for his life, says, I will bless God. I will lift my hands in worship. I will commit myself to your ways, Lord. He's committed himself to praise God in all things because he found satisfaction that only comes from God, which gave him reasons to be grateful, praising God's name in all situations, whether good or bad. Whether things are going out the way that he wants or not, David is committed to praising and blessing God. For us this morning, how do we respond to the pressures of life? We have to be occupied with God. We praise God, and we remember what God has done. He goes on in verse 6, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate, you, meditate on you in the watches of the night. I think this is a scene many of us can relate. We have something the next morning or the next week or the next month that is bringing us stress and anxiety, and we are tossing and turning in the middle of the night, and there's no, uh, no way that this is going to end, and, but this seems to be, nighttime seems to be the time that we're most vulnerable to uh, physical and emotional worries, that we're brought into anxiety, and so we find that in times of stress, in times of extreme pressure, that we are just lacking in our sleep. We find it hard to fall asleep. 
And so yet, in David, in his time, when he's in the midst of suffering, he's not occupying his mind on his suffering, but he's remembering what God has said and done in his life. He's using his sleepless nights to recall what God has said and done in the past, applying to his current situation. What raises the question, what is David remembering? Verse 7, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. The picture we get is a mother bird with her babies as she comes to protect her chicks from danger. David is saying that God does the same thing for his children. He surrounds us with his, his, his presence. He protects us from any oncoming danger. And so in the times of tossing and turning in the night, David is intentional to remember God's deliverance in the past because it's how we've seen God in the past that allows us to see what he's doing in the present. When I was going to school, I was married, and I had a job that was barely paying for my bills and barely paying for tuition. I desired to go to school debt-free, which is hard uh, in this day and age, and I had everything figured out for the four years that I was at school. And then, of course, what happened, my wife got pregnant. And it, wasn't, it was something that we had been planning on, but it was just that realization that now I have to provide for school, I have to provide for our house, and now I have to provide children. It, it put a lot of pressure on me to pay for, for all of these things, and I was already stressed and pressured before I found out that, we, that she was pregnant. But the more I thought about my situation, the more I became stressed, the more I became anxious, the more I became just concerned about what was going to happen in the future. And then what happened is that in the course of a week, we had two anonymous donations completely pay for my entire school year. This came out of nowhere. This didn't come as a result of me putting out this need. I didn't communicate this need to anyone. Yet God, my Father, knew that I was stressed, knew that I was worried. And in that moment, he came through with his provision and his protection in a time of need. This is one of the many stories of, in my life how I have seen God work in my life. And it leads me to remember and recall what he has promised for his children, for his compassion on us. And it allows me to recall what God has said and done in the past that allows me to apply that to my current situation. I encourage you, when you are tossing and turning in the middle of the night, stressed about what is going on in your life, stop and remember what God has done in your life in the past. It doesn't mean that our problems go away, but it does mean that we will see how God is coming through us in our lives. David says, because of what he has seen God do in the past, he goes to verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I love the picture here in verse 8, and I think of my own kids, how they cling to me for security and protection. And I respond by holding them tightly and protecting them from the thing that brings them fear. And so our relationship with God and us is not one-sided where we are clinging to God and he is responding in love and protection. See, this isn't where we are doing all the work of maintaining and 
grow in our relationship, but we see God's provision and his power in our life because our love is, because he loves us and because he's invested in his children. And this is all, and his children are all the people who pursue him by faith. Jesus says the same thing in John 10 when he says that all who are given to him by his Father is protected and that nothing or no one is going to snatch them from the protection of Christ. Remembering God is necessary for us as we face and respond to the problems in our life and our world. And again, how do we respond to the pressure in our life? First, we have to be occupied with God. Second, we have to praise God. Third, we have to remember what God has done. And fourth, we rejoice in God. It seems sometimes when we are experiencing extreme difficulties in our life, people just come out of the woodworks to watch our lives burn. They they come, they, 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 they put in their input, and they're just there to just watch our lives become self destructed And they gloat over us. And so David's deep relationship with his God didn't remove the problem in his life, but he says in verse 9, but those who, dis- dis- those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. And this verse, or these verses are called, in, are called imprecatory psalms. It's a $10 word, and we find many of these psalms throughout the book of Psalms. But we tend to find these types of psalms a little uncomfortable, but they serve an important purpose. They show how God is going to judge judge the enemies of the people of God. And the enemies of the people of God are the enemies of God himself. Now, we need to say that not all opposition that we are facing are God's enemies. God's enemies are the people who oppose the advancement of the kingdom of God in our world. In a word, this is the gospel, people who oppose the advancement of the gospel. But the key thing about imprecatory psalms is that God, not us, is the one who brings judgment against his enemies. Looking at David's life on the run from Absalom, he didn't want his son to be killed. He didn't want his son to be harmed. We can see that in in 2 Samuel. And even when he was on the run from Samuel, or from from King Saul, he didn't want to be that agent of judgment for God against men. But he understood that while he's pursuing God, his enemies are pursuing him. And so he pursued God knowing that he would find delight in him, knowing that he would find protection in him. And so we see in verse 11, it says, but the king shall rejoice in God. In light of all that's happening in his life, he commits himself to rejoice in God. Now, rejoicing in God is different than praising God. Praising God is an outward expression focused on speaking, focused on actions, or serving God out of thankfulness for what he has done in our life. Whereas rejoicing is an inward expression that is more of an attitude, more of a thinking about God. And this is more of a state of being. We rejoice in God as who we are. And so rejoicing in God produces joy and delight in God. But in light of all the pressures and suffering in his life, David says he's going to pursue God to find enjoyment from God above all. He says... He is the most important thing worth pursuing. So 
all of our yearning, all of our longing for something in our lives, we can only find true satisfaction from one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ. Psalm 63 is teaching us this morning to pursue Christ and be satisfied. Satisfied in pursuing Christ, we are able to praise Him regardless of what is happening in our life. We are able to see and remember how He has provided protection for us. We are able to rejoice in God because we know that He loves us. We know that He cares for us. We know that He he is the only thing that our souls are longing for. He alone brings satisfaction and delight to us. And so Jesus is offering a true and lasting satisfaction through his personal sacrifice, through a personal relationship with him. And we find that this personal relationship brings victory in our lives and brings victory in our world. David in Psalm 63 by saying, All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. This word exult means to boast or to glory in. And what David is saying, he's saying, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to glory, I'm not going to boast in my own victory, but I'm going to glory in the victory of Jesus. And then all who swear by Jesus literally means to pledge allegiance to him, to submit to him, to serve him above all. And we find that the same victory The same power that was in Christ at the resurrection is the same victory that is present in our lives today through his spirit. This isn't something that we have to work for. This isn't something that we have to strive for. We just simply receive and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Pursue Christ and be satisfied with him alone. What does it look like for us this morning to pursue Christ and be satisfied? starts with having a relationship with Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know who Christ is, you don't have a relationship with him, simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. Simply commit yourselves to him and you are a child of God. In coming to him in faith, he receives us and we are then made his children, sons and daughters of, of God Most High. We are able to respond and see what God is doing in our life. We are able to feel God's love, receive God's love, and see his presence around us immediately. We're not just saved from our sin, but we are saved for a relationship in Christ. It's something that we, you can do here and now, and all you have to do is pray to him in your heart, and you are made a child of God instantly as you put your faith and your trust in him. If you've made that decision today to follow Christ, to have a relationship with Christ, I encourage you to tell someone. Knowing Christ is is the best decision that you can make in your life because now you are a child of God. You are able to find that true and that lasting satisfaction that you are longing for. But for us who have made that decision already, how do we pursue Christ in 2021? We pursue Christ through the, word of, through, through the word of God and through prayer. The King David found tremendous satisfaction and delight through God, through his word. He was able to experience God's presence just by studying God's word. 
And so you can even look at Psalm 119, which David wrote, and this is the largest chapter in the whole Bible, but it is all about the delight that comes from being in the Word of God. So I want to encourage you to spend time being in the Word of God, praying this week, if you're not doing it already. Sometimes amidst all of the busyness and all of the things going on, it's hard to be committed to being the Word of God. But I have found this, uh, this, uh, the more that I've been able to spend time with the Lord, the more I've been able to just feel and see God's presence in my life amidst all of the things happening. I recently came across this new journaling method. It's called the Soaps Journaling. And so you can find that the S stands for Scripture, where you write out a verse or two verses that stand out to you. Uh, you look at the observation that you write out some of the observations that you're finding about these verses. You write out the A, which stands for application, where you write out how you're going to apply this to your life. And you write the P, which is prayer, where you write out a prayer about the verse or the verses. And then someone, who are you going to share this text with? Not only do we pursue Christ through pursuing his, his word and through pursuing prayer, but we also pursue Christ through pursuing his people. We are created to be in a relationship with God and his people. Since we all come as children of God, we are coming to him in a relationship by faith. We are all the children and the people of God. We come alongside each other in times of crisis, in times of pain, in times of confusion. God has a body of believers here at Restoration where we are able to serve and love one another through various different times in our life. We have multiple opportunities to be a part of the body of restoration. The first opportunity you have is to join a serve team where you're able to connect and meet other people of God, serving and loving people of God. And you can see how God is working through your life. The other way that we have to be a part, to, to, to pursue Christ, is to join a life group. Life groups are resuming again next month, but it's not too early to start thinking about what this is going to look like for your life, the importance of having people who walk alongside you in all areas of life. You can start the conversation by filling out a connection card either online, going to restorationyakma.com Sunday, or filling out a connection card and putting it in the offering boxes in the back. The beautiful thing about pursuing Christ is that we don't have to perform. We don't have to be someone that we're not. We don't have to put on this face of doing any of these things. We simply have to rest and dwell in Christ. Well, that's where we find our satisfaction. We find our satisfaction and our purpose in Him alone through His redemptive work on the cross. He alone is able to satisfy our souls when we come to Him in, our, in faith. Pursue Christ and be satisfied.